Let's open our Bibles, uh, 2 Thessalonians. We're going to begin our study in 2 Thessalonians. And also, um, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 17. So keep your uh, bulletin in Acts in uh, 2 Thessalonians and, th and then turn to Acts 17. It's always great when you can put together the letters that Paul wrote with something that was happening in the life of the church. And, and uh, 2 Thessalonians was written to this place, this church that was founded by Paul and, and his team. And uh, it's a city in modern-day Greece. And the interesting thing about this church that was started, they, Paul and his team were only there for a very short while. And, in fact, they got chased out of town, as, as uh, you can read there in Acts chapter 17. But a church was established when they went there, and they just shared about Jesus. So let's read there in Acts 17, verse 1. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures." explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But then it goes on to say, but the Jews were jealous, and so they ended up chasing them out of town. So this very young church... Paul writes to them first, the letter of 1 Thessalonians, he writes to them, and his purpose really was to strengthen them, to encourage them, to help them to grow, and that's why we have these letters that Paul had written. And then we come now to the book of 2 Thessalonians, and, and basically Paul had written this letter, sent it to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, and, and then not long after that, when the, the courier came back, he decided he, want, he needed to write another letter uh, to them. And, and to me, it tells me that they still needed more. And, I, and I, see, I see in that a picture that you and I, we still need more. You know, the, if it was just one letter, that would be awesome. But you know what? He sent them two letters because they needed more. And you, you and I always need more because what I'm going to talk about today is growing. And you and I always need to grow more. There's always things that we need. They still needed more. You and I need more. The, the three reasons, th three of the main reasons why this book was written, uh, according to uh, one commentator, number one is that they were still being persecuted and they needed encouragement. They had... The persecution had started almost as soon as the church was started. Almost as soon as they had uh, given their lives to Jesus, the persecution had started. And that's why Paul was chased out of town. But they had to stay. That was their home. Paul left. But they had to stay there. Sometimes it's not so easy to stay where the, where the fire is. But that's what Paul was, was wanting to encourage them. Listen, you're there. But I want to encourage you that God is still... Uh, on your side and that God is still working there and, and to hold on to him. So they were facing this persecution and the trials that they were facing there. The second thing is they were, they were being misled, being young, 
in the faith. They were being misled as to the day of the Lord. In fact, there were some that, that came along. They said the day, the day of the Lord has already occurred. In fact, you're in the middle of the Great Tribulation now. Have you, any, any of you heard that being currently um, proposed? Well, it just wasn't true, and, and it wasn't true then, and it isn't true now, and Paul had to straighten some things out, and so he gave them some more direct teaching about how that was all going to come to play, and that's found in chapter 2. And then, interestingly enough, in chapter 3, it says that, that some were living in idleness. They were just not doing anything. They were just like slackers. And so, uh, is there any application for us? That's a question. That's chapter 3. We'll get to that, and, and uh, maybe you might want to miss that week and slack off at home uh, or something. So today, I want to I talk about the first, really, four verses, and, and uh, let's read them together. So we turn back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says these words, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray for our hearts that our hearts would hear what your spirit says. Lord, speak to us, Lord, by your spirit this morning. Uh, we do acknowledge our need of you, more of you in our lives, in our hearts, in Jesus' name. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, this little A-team is what I call them just because they're so cool, these, these three guys. And of course, Paul always had a way of gathering uh, men about him to serve and, and, and women as well to serve and, and that uh, they would work together. And, and each of them had an important part to play. You know, we can just read that and say, oh, it's just a greeting there. But, but each, of these, each of these guys that are mentioned here, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, each of them were very different in character, very different in personality, very different in what God had called them and equipped them to do. And so when they got together, though, there was this energy that came about because each of them was doing what they were called to do. It wasn't just a one-man show where Paul did everything. Now, Paul did a lot because God had gifted him to do a lot. And so so he did everything that he was supposed to do, but, but he had these others that were part of his team, and he never like, you know, thought he was better or anything else than any of these other uh, guys. But each of them were doing what they were called to do, and they, they went on these trips. This chapter 17 is in the middle of the, the second, what's called the second missionary journey of Paul. And they went on these trips, and they would go to place from place to place, sharing about Jesus and things, radical things would happen. But they, they were called to do that. They were called to go out on the road. Now, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if any of you, maybe perhaps you are, that God has called you to go out on the road. Does God still call people to go out on the road? Yes, He does. Does He call people to stay and minister and work where they are? Yes, He does. 
I think the biggest question that we, we all need to ask ourselves is, what has God called me to do and what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to fit in? Because I think that's important and as we talk about growing. I think that's, a, that's one of the, one of the uh, components of growth is that we find that place, that calling in the body that we're supposed to fulfill. Very boring, very dry. If all you do is go to listen to a bald-headed guy uh, that really sometimes doesn't make any sense. You know, life as a Christian, life as part of the body is very boring if that's all that you're going to do, in my estimation. Please disagree with me. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying, right? That each of us needs to find that place because that's what makes life exciting. That's what, that's what makes being a Christian exciting when we get involved in, and we see God doing things in our lives. These guys never had a dull moment, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Never had a dull moment. So they write, as it says there, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, I, I, and again, just slowing down in, the, in that greeting a little bit, he's, he's writing to the church there. Now, do you think that he's writing to a building in Thessalonica? No. Absolutely not. Now, did they have a building? Maybe. Maybe, but probably they met in people's homes. We're talking about home fellowships, small groups. Probably they were meeting in people's homes. It was just a brand new church. Maybe they hadn't saved up enough yet to buy a building. It, took, you know, it takes a long time sometimes. Ask Barbara, she'll tell you. But it was really about these people, right? It had nothing to do with the, the building where they met. It had nothing to do with what kind of facility they had. And thank God that he gives us facilities, he gives us things to use, and, but they're just like tools, really. What's, what, the, what the church is, is that group of people. And you sitting here today are part of the group of people if you are in God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you are part of the family, if you, have, if you have made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus, if you have said, yes, I, I, I believe that Jesus came and died. I believe that he died for my sin. I believe that he gave his life and that he was buried, that he rose from the dead. And as we believe and receive that, the Bible says we are made children of his. So why are you saying all that? Why? Because that's what the Bible's talking about here. That we are the church. We are the family. It's not just a, an institutional church. I hate that word. Although it's not a bad word, right? The church is an institution. Look around and you see all your fellow institution mates. <laughs> are you in an institution? Yes. What institution is that? The church. And then people look at you and go, I understand. You're one of those... Jesus freak, born again, crazy, over-the-top people. Amen. But you know what? It's those people that, that, that get to have all the fun in this world, in this life. When we just are let go, we just say, well, I'm going to be who I am, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of God, and, and it doesn't matter what you think about that. If you think I'm, I should belong in an institution... <laughs> the church, he's writing to these people. They were real people. They were... They were people who had, had had a relationship and encounter with Jesus and their lives were changed like forever. Not someone who just came and said, okay, to put my name down on that role, but people whose lives were, 
we're radically changed from the inside out, not on the outside. That's what the Pharisees' deal was. Their, their whole thing was the outside, but, but, but the church is people whose lives are changed from the inside, and then it kind of goes and works its way from the inside out. That's what he's talking about here. The church. Are you part of the church? You have that living relationship with Jesus, with the Father, he says, with the Father and the Son. And notice he puts them together. They're, they're co-equals. And, and you, can't, you can't read the Bible without seeing the, the doctrine or the teaching of the Trinity there, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's equating them here too. But, but Jesus said these words in John 17. He said, this is eternal life, he said, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what eternal life is, to have a living relationship where you know the Father and the Son. That's who he's writing here today, to the people who, who knew the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. You say, could he be writing a, church, a letter like that to our church, the church at Green Meadow? We're a part of the family of God, aren't, aren't we? We're a part of the family of God. And so he could be writing to us today if, if, if we were back then, if we were around back then, a part of the family of God. The church at Green Meadow. Not the building. Not the building over there on Devil's Foot Road where we don't give the devil a foothold. But the people that gather here, we just happen to, to be here. The people who have been gathered together, called out from the world. The word ecclesia, which is translated church, means ecclesia, means ek called out, ecclesia, called, out called. The outcalled or the called out ones, called out of the world to be a part of the family of God. You say, well, that's all pretty simple stuff, and I already know all that stuff, but you know, I like what Peter, he sa Peter says, you know, I, I'm going to remind you about stuff. You know why? Because I'm only going to be here so long, and, and while I'm here in this body, I'm going to remind you of the stuff I know so that you won't forget. So we are the church, we are the body of Christ. Us, you and me, the body of Christ. Verse 2, he says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. And, and you know, we, we can, again, go over those words very fast. And, it, you know, it, it was a greeting, but it's not just a greeting. It's not just a greeting. It's really a prayer. It's, it's almost like a blessing. Grace and peace to you, Paul is saying. You know, they would greet people and they would say grace or they would say peace. But Paul puts so much more into it than that. He says, he says the grace of God to you, the grace of God's unmerited favor to you. I don't know about you, but I need more grace. I need grace in my life. How many of you need grace in your life? The grace of God, not just grace. What is grace, anyways? What is grace in, if it's not from God, where God just pours out stuff upon us that we don't deserve, that He just wants to give to us? And through that grace that He pours out in our lives, we, we then can experience the peace that only comes from a relationship with God. You see, there's two different kinds of peace. Do you know what they are? Does anybody know what they are? Biblically speaking, I say, out of here, out of the Bible. Anybody know? Two different kinds. 
exactly. Uh, you can have an extra vanilla wafer. Okay, take two. They're small. The peace with God comes first. You, you, you need to get it in the other order, though, okay? Next time? Okay. First, you get peace with God, where, where the hostility between us, which is sin that, that separates us from God, our sin separates us from God. So we get this peace with God where, where because of what Jesus did, he bridged the gap between us and God, and now we actually have peace with him. We're not at war anymore. We're not his enemies. Of course, he's always loved us, but we haven't always loved him. We have, you know, we have, we've turned our back and said, I don't want anything to do with you. And our sins take us down that direction. But when we are forgiven, we have peace with God. We have peace with him. That's big, you know. That's really big. That's how we begin to, we begin to then experience the peace of God. First, we have the peace with God, and then as we have peace with Him, He begins to give us this peace that only He can give. Jesus talked about it. He says, I, the, my peace I give you, it's not a peace that the world can give you. Because to be honest with you, how much peace can the world actually give? You know, they sing about it. What's the name of that song that they used to sing way back? Give peace a chance. Well, they're still singing it, and it ain't happening. The world, uh, you know, it seems like every day that you open up the paper or you turn on the television or you read the news on the Internet, there is another nation that has now decided that I don't like you anymore and there's not going to be any peace and we are gonna, we're going we're gonna to have a fight. We're going to go for it. And that's on the like, national level, and then you look at just within families. In our own families, I just I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You, you, you know, this is not something that we are able to do. So Jesus said, the peace that I give, it's not a peace like the world gives, but my peace I'm going to give to you. See, Paul, you know, he doesn't just write these words without like, you know, he knows what, what, what Jesus had said. He knows what the Bible, uh, the Old Testament had taught before he was now writing these words to these people. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't just a greeting notice because he says it's from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we have comes from him. Peace. The peace of God. I don't know about you, but there's often, often in my life where I'm just like going... Going, going down this path, and I just like have zero peace. Any of you know what that's like? It's like you're going down, and you got, you've got like no peace. There's no peace of God that you know of. And so what do you need to do? You need to like get right and maybe turn back, maybe get back on the right direction for a start and, and find that place of peace. Now, that peace, the peace of God and the peace with God doesn't mean that everything around us is all going to be peachy, Right? Does it? It might not be. It means having a peace in the middle of all that stuff because you're right with God because, because he, is, he is giving to us what we need to, to survive in this life, in this world. Peace of God. Are we ever going to get through this letter? Maybe the rapture is going to occur before we get through this letter, you know. 
and talk about it, though, according to some of the things that he says are, that needs to happen, though, we, we're not quite seeing some of these things, but some of them are talking about before he returns physically to the earth as well. We're going to get to that later. So, verse 3, he says, We ought also, excuse me, always, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. We ought always to thank God. The next verse he talks about boasting. I didn't know it was cool to boast, but Paul said he was, he was going to boast right there. And, and, and he says, I'm going to thank God as well for what is going on here. Two things that I want to focus on today. We ought always to thank God for you. And the two things are these. Rightly so, he says. Two things. Number one is that your faith is growing. Number two is that your love is increasing. Your faith is growing more and more. Number one, their faith. Their faith and in, in, in their trust in God. It was actually growing. It was getting bigger. It was somehow growing deeper, somehow growing in such a way that, that Paul heard about it, that he knew about it. And I had to think about this, you know, our faith. Our faith is our, our trust in God. It's not something you can put your hands on, Hebrews 11, 1 tells us. But it's something that's very real. And he said that it was growing and, and, and it wasn't stagnant. It wasn't going backwards. Paul says it was growing. And so I, I had to ask the question, well, how is my faith? And I want to ask you as well, how, how is your faith? Because part of the reason that Paul writes these words is to encourage, but also to challenge us. God's Word challenges us. It teaches us. And, and so how is your faith? How is my faith? Is it, is it growing? Or is it just that one time, that one time where I heard the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus saves, and, and all you need to do is say one prayer, and that's all you do, and then you're going to be all set for life, and that is the total extent of your faith. Boring. Not that it's bad to believe in Jesus, but you know what? That's only the beginning of, of a walk with Jesus. I'm talking about the excitement. I'm talking about the life that happens when we are, the, the, our faith is growing. That is, that is only the beginning. I didn't mean to say that was boring in a bad way. I, I retract that. Stop the tape. Take that out. That our faith was growing. Paul was concerned. You see, earlier in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, he says these words. He said, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. He wanted to go back. And he says, and supply what is lacking in your faith. He was really concerned about it, that their faith, that, you know, they had a faith, but they needed more. They needed to hear more. And that's why he writes these letters. That's why we read them, because we need more. We need to get challenged. We need to get stirred up. We need to, to get fed and, and grow. That word grow. He says that their faith is growing more and more. Not just a little bit, but more and more. The word there means to increase above ordinary degree or to grow exceedingly. We need to grow. 
I'm convinced of that. We need to grow. I've been a Christian a long time, and you know what? You never get to the place where I don't need to grow anymore. When you get to that place, you're dead in the water, really. You need help. That's why you need to grow, because you think you don't. That's why you need to be challenged, because you think you're already all set. Paul said, you know, I'm pressing towards the mark, and he says those of us that are mature should realize that we have not arrived, we have not gotten there we need to grow more and more. We need to never stop. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3.18, a verse you've heard, most likely, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ to Him, be both glory now and forever. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to grow in these things. Maybe you're saying my life is, is pretty boring, my life is pretty dull. Well, maybe it is because we're not growing. Maybe it is because we're not getting any, we're not going forward. We're only like maybe even moving backwards, or maybe we're heading in the wrong direction altogether, but he wants us to grow. Here he's talking about growing in their faith and that amount of trust that they have in God. I think, I think you know, do I trust is my trust in God any more today than it was a year ago? Do I trust Him? Do I, you know, and we'll talk in a minute how we grow, but, but that's, a, that's a question. You know, there was the man who, whose child was possessed by an evil spirit, right? And, and the disciples, they had trouble with casting this demon out or whatever. And it says in Mark chapter 9, it says that uh, about this demon, it is often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. The man said to Jesus, and Jesus' reply was, if you can, like, if I can? He said, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately, immediately it says, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That's where that comes from, that we know that word. I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I do believe, but you know, there's a lot of areas in my life that I don't believe, so help me. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me to grow in my faith. You know, it, it really... This question about how we do grow, well, first of all, we need to realize that we do need to grow, but, but, but the growth doesn't come because we take a, a course in faith. You know, the, the, the five easy steps to a growing faith, right? And if you take it and you do this homework and that homework, well, God's got to do it, but it's a matter of, of the soil in our hearts, really, isn't it? And are we allowing, are we, are we going to God and asking him, like this man, immediately, he said, immediately. He exclaimed. He didn't say, well, you know what, I kind of believe. No, it says he exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. How do we grow? You know, thinking about plants, and uh, next week, uh, Sue is going to talk about some of the plants outside. Have you noticed the, the little row of plants right by the front door, any of you? Yeah. Is that incredible? Like I'm blo I looked at it this morning. I'm blown away by it. It's just so beautiful. And you know what? It just happens all by itself. 
and it's just there. I mean, you just look, and all of a sudden it's there. I, I am just amazed. Well, not exactly, is it? Right. There's somebody that's, that's working at that. We'll, we'll hear a little more about that next week. But, but, you know, to make plants grow, they need to have soil. If there's no soil there, they're not going to grow. If there's no water there, they need to be watered. If there's no nutrients, if they don't get cut back, pruning, there's not going to be a lot of growth. And they're not going to be like that, those plants are out there right now. But you know what? Doing all those things... They're all necessary, but you know what? Without the hand of God, nothing. When I look at those, I see the, the glory of God. It's like, it's like Psalm 19 says, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God, and you look up and you see this incredible... When you look at a flower and you see this incredible beauty, yeah, it, they need to be you know, taken care of, and, and even Adam in the Garden of Eden, he said, it said that he put him in the garden to tend it and to care for it. There was things that he needed to do. But God, but God made that growth happen. You know, this is, if you can't see it in a flower, you're not going to see it anywhere. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the flowers, the plants, the trees. The hand of God, you know, Paul, uh, talking in 1 Corinthians 3, said, you know, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, speaking about ministry and people's lives. But, but he says, you know what? I did my part, Apollos did his part, but he said, God made it grow. God made it grow. He said, so not, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Only God can, can help us to grow. Only God can bring that growth in our lives. We need to understand that. I'm not just going to become, you know, uh, rigid and, and, and think that I am going to do it. I'm going to make my growth happen. I'm going to grow some fruit. I'm just going to... And it's going to, you know, by the sweat of my brow. God makes things grow. Only God makes things grow. So how... How do, we, how do we do that? How does it happen in our lives? Well, I think part of it is what we were talking about earlier about just being the church, being a part of the church, part of a church. You know, there are a lot of people, and I, I've seen it ever since I moved here 25 years ago into Rhode Island. There are people who, who are just out, who, who, are, who, who are not involved in any way, shape, or form in any kind of church, in any kind of fellowship, in any kind of... Um, group or, or they're just not a part of a church. You say, well, you're just saying that because you are a pastor and you want the church to gather and all this. But no, it's just true. And those people, most of them out that are out there, they're just wandering and there's not a lot of growth. There's not a lot of fruit because they're not, being, they're not a part of the body. They're not gathering together to be a part of what God has called the church to be. There's a lot of factors that are involved in growth. It's not just one thing. It's a lot of things, and it's all coming together. It's, it's part of Acts 2.42. You know, they, they, they studied the apostles' doctrine, right? You've got to have, you gotta have that, the spiritual nutrients to grow, and it comes through the Word of God. But you can't just become all head knowledge and just, you know, knowledge puffs up. You can't just get the Word of God. You've you got to have all of them, really. The Word of God and the and the fellowship, 
and prayer and the breaking of bread and, and then the Spirit of God applying the Word of God to the child of God to bring about the growth, you see. You want to grow? I want to grow. I don't want to just end up, you know, my life, you know, stagnant in my, in my walk, in my life, in my faith, in my love. Some of us, you know, we stopped growing years and years and years ago. We wonder why. Are you getting the Word of God at all? Are you, are you asking God's Spirit to do a work and, and bring about growth in your life? Are you, are you involved in, a, in some kind of fellowship with people? That's why, you know, we're, we're, we're beginning to start some new small groups because small groups is a, is a great way to grow because you get to know people. You know, you, you can sit here on a Sunday, and that's great. And, and it, we, we study the Word, and, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's incredible, it's wonderful. But you also need to break it down and to, to sit with people that you can talk to. And so I want to encourage you to get involved in a small group. And, and maybe, maybe you want to open your home to uh, have a host, a small group in your house. Or maybe you, you, know, you want to play an instrument. Or maybe you, there's some way you want to get involved. You want to be the guy that brings the cookies. And I love cookies. Those vanilla wafers, they're cool, but you know what? Those are not cookies. <laughs> and I digress, and I make no apology for it. <laughs> Small groups and then serving, which I've already talked about. You know, what's in your heart? You say, well, there isn't something happening that I, like, that I, I want to see, that I feel like I'm supposed to be a part of. Well, you know what, what I would say? Well, why don't you get something started? You know, unless, unless you're like a total... Um, never mind. <laughs> most likely, if God's put something in your heart, most likely you could get involved in seeing that happen. Right? And, and I'm not going to say, no, that's the dumbest idea I ever heard. I might think it, but... No, I'm going to say, well, is, if God is in this thing, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's go for it. Let's at least pray about it, right? Maybe you see a need to have a ministry to, uh, you know, people who are shut in, can't get out. Well, are there any people like that out there? Absolutely. So you begin to pray about it. You begin to see God open doors. And your life begins to, like, come on fire. Maybe you have, see a need to, to take care of missionaries, and, and we have missionaries that we support, but, you know, we, we could use people to write them letters and let them know that we're praying for them all the time. A lot of them don't even know. So all these things are, are part of growth in... And, uh, being, being part of all these different things, it's involvement, I think, is what a key word is. But in the end, we kind of just show up and then see what God's going to do. But unless you show up, you're never going to see what God's going to do. You've got to show up. 
I show up here on Sundays. I show up here different times just because I, I don't know what else to do. I don't have this incredible uh, thing that I have to offer, but I, but I know that God is incredible, and I'm just going to show up, and, 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 and we learned that a long, long time ago, that we just show up and, and see what God will do, because God is the one that makes things grow, and God is the one that made those Thessalonians grow, and God is the one that's going to make you grow, but you got to show up, got to show up. One final thing that we're not going to get to the rest of this, obviously, today, uh, one final thing, though, that, that causes our faith to grow. Anybody know what it is? And you can have a face that goes down when you hear this one. Trials, right. Trials. Say, never mind, I don't want my faith to grow. If that's going to include that, I'd rather just take the pill. You know, just a pill. Take this pill once a day your faith will grow. We could make a lot of money. Why don't we do that? We could market it. Any of, some of you are into marketing. I know and we could market it. We could make a lot of money. We could, we could pay for those trees 10 times over, whatever. Sometimes God uses things that are just not so simple, right? No pain, no gain. Turn with me to James chapter 1. We'll close with a couple passages near the end of the book. James chapter 1. James, the half-brother of Jesus, say, well, you know, he was pretty close to Jesus. He was like a half-brother to Jesus. You'd think that, you know, he'd, put it, you know he'd, he'd have Jesus put a word in for him so that he never had any trials in his life. Everything would be awesome and cool and great. Look what he says, verse 2. James, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy. Pure joy. Whoa. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything testing of your faith. You know, I was thinking about this concept, and I was thinking, you know, when I face trials, I, I, don't, I don't have this mindset thinking like something, God is going to use this to bring about something good in my life. I don't, I don't think that. I just think like this stinks, and I want it to stop now. Do, do any of you feel that way? But, but I think if, if we know, if we think, you know what, trials will come. In the world, Jesus said, you will have pressure, tribulation, you will have trials, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So we know that they're going to come, and so us, for us to think ahead, saying, you know what, trials will come, and I'm in the middle of a trial now, but consider it pure joy because the testing of my faith will develop perseverance, and, and perseverance will lead to maturity and to growth. I'm going to grow through this thing. Warren Wiersbe said, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. He said, an easy life can lead to a shallow faith. Maybe you have a lot of uh, trials in your life, and you know what? 
God's, God's allowing you to be tested, but, but he's, he's building your faith to not be a shallow faith, but a real deep, strong faith. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from England, he says, I'm certain, I am certain that I never did grow in grace one half so much anywhere as I, as I have upon the bed of pain. I didn't grow anywhere one half so much as anywhere as, as I have upon the bed of pain. Turn to the next book, 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. It says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He didn't mince any words, did he? Crave pure spiritual milk and... and uh, just go for it. Take it. Because you're going to grow. God wants you to grow. He wants me to grow. To grow up. I read about a guy who worked in an aquarium and, and, and he, would, he would go out to get these exotic fish and, and, uh, for aquariums. And it, he said that if you catch a very small shark and I've heard this kind of thing before, and you, and you confine it to a small aquarium, that it, though it will go to maturity, it will, it will not grow beyond a certain length, like six inches or so, depending on the size of the aquarium. He says, but if you turn them loose in the ocean, they'll grow to like, depending on the type of shark, like maybe eight feet long or longer. And he says this, that also happens to some Christians. He says, I've seen the cutest little six-inch Christians who swim around in a little puddle. But if you put them into a larger arena, into the whole creation, only then can they become great or grow. Little six-inch Christians. Six inches. You know, I don't want that to be me. Just in this, you know, confined little six-inch. God wants you and I to grow. We're not going to turn there now. We'll, we'll close. But in the book of Hebrews, he says, you know what? You got to a place where you, you know, by this time, he says, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be like helping others along the path, he says, but you still need someone to give you the milk and not the meat. You should be eating meat by now. It's good what Peter said, but, you know, there also comes a time where you need to eat more than just milk. You know, and that's what keeps us to this little six-inch growth. I want to grow. We'll, we'll, we'll finish this next week. Is that okay? A little challenge to see what God is wanting you to grow in. And maybe the trials that you're facing now are part of his plan to, to cause your faith to grow. He doesn't want us just to stay the same. That's boring. The Christian life, the true Christian life, the way that he has set it up is not boring.
and maybe challenging, very challenging, and sometimes maybe painful, like Spurgeon said, on the bed of pain. But never boring. Never boring. I don't want that. I've been there. Done that. Let's pray together, shall we?